Today we're starting our sermon series called Flourishing in the Wilderness. And we're going to be taking the next couple of months to look at the journey of the Israelites as they are in the wilderness from the Red Sea to the Promised Land. I'm going to talk, after I read the scripture passage, a little bit more, in fact, much of the sermon, about why it is that I think it's important for us to understand this part of is the Israelites' journey through the wilderness. But I thought before I even read the scripture, it might be helpful if I gave a big, bit more background as to why exactly it is that the Israelites were in the wilderness in the first place. I won't go all the way back, but let's start with Joseph. You may recall Joseph. He was one of 12 brothers, and he was betrayed by those brothers, but also then by his boss's wife in Egypt, and then by a fellow prisoner. But Joseph never lost the faith. In fact, his faithfulness continued, and he finally began to see it bear some fruit, so much so that he became second in command over all of Egypt in the midst of this momentous famine that they were enduring. Well, uh, Joseph died, uh, but the Israelites uh, stayed there in Egypt and they began to grow and grow. And a pharaoh took over the land and he did not know Joseph, as the scripture says. And in other words, he didn't realize exactly what Joseph and the Israelites had done for Egypt. And when he saw them, he just saw a foreigner and perhaps an enemy. And so they ended up taking them as slaves. But that still didn't uh, still the fear of the Pharaoh. And so they began to have these Israelites, the babies, killed so that they couldn't grow any larger in number. One of those babies who was a target was someone that we know as Moses. Moses' mother put him into this river, into a basket that went into the river providentially, was seen by someone in the royal family who picked Moses up and then decided to take Moses as her own. Interestingly enough, Moses' biological mother was actually able to raise her son, but she did so in the palace. Now eventually, as Moses got older, he began to realize that his fellow Israelites were being were, were enslaved and did not have the freedom or the joy um, that he had. And so he decided to take matters into his own hands. That did not work out so well. And before you know it, he was fleeing into the wilderness. But finally, we are told that God heard the cries of his people. And so he decided he was going to rescue Israel and he was going to use Moses to do so. Moses, and it's quite the little story, was not very excited to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. But eventually, he agreed. But the Pharaoh was also not very excited about losing his workforce. And so he kept telling Moses that no, he could not take the Israelites away. And so God began to send plague after plague after plague after plague until finally the Pharaoh told him, okay, just get these Israelites out of here. So Moses began to lead them out of Egypt. It didn't take too long, though, for the Pharaoh to realize that he really wanted those people. And so he began to bring his army, and they began to chase after the Israelites. And the Israelites were fleeing, and then they came up to the Red Sea. And the Red Sea was in front of them, and the Egyptian army was behind them. And they thought, surely all 
is lost. But at that moment, this Charlton Heston-like miracle occurred. And the seas parted. And Moses and all of the Israelites were able to cross over. And as the Egyptians began to come after them, the walls of that sea began to crumble and they were swept away. And the Egyptians, or the Israelites, I should say, were free. They were free from slavery. And they were free to be able to go to the promised land, a land full of milk and honey. But first, perhaps unknowingly, and certainly without realizing how difficult or how long it would take, the Israelites had to go through the wilderness, through the desert. And that brings us to Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 27. Then Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That is why it's called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he put them to the test. He said, If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give heed to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the water. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we pray on this day that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to you. We pray that your spirit would be upon us and that we might see ourselves in the life of the Israelites and that we would be able to follow you wherever it is that you have called us to go. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So, you may be asking, why should we focus on the wilderness? Well, one of the reasons, if I can be completely honest, is because of the fact that I've never done that. And after being a pastor for 15 years, um, it's fun or interesting to be able to preach on something that's a little bit different. So I'll admit, uh, maybe it's a little bit selfish on my part. 
But of course, as you continue to think about it, you realize that there's another reason, which is that well, we'd be hard-pressed to find a better time to talk about life in the wilderness. If we understand the wilderness as being a place that we didn't necessarily want to be or a place where we didn't expect to be, a place where we didn't think we would be there nearly as long as we have been, uh, you have to realize that that's a bit of where we are right now in this season of our journey. But I also realized that as soon as I said that we're going to study the wilderness and life in the wilderness, that there were some of you, maybe even many of you, who were thinking to yourself, oh, no, I don't want to have to think about the wilderness. I don't want to have to think about difficult times or trying times or dry times or, or dusty times. I get that all the rest of the week. I get it at work. I get it at home. I get it on the news or on social media and the internet. I don't want to think about that. Can't we just do something fun? Can't we just do something uplifting and exciting? I get that. And so let me address that in a couple of ways. First, I really think it's critical that we engage and feel and take seriously the strain and the struggle and the pain of being in the wilderness. Whether that's that right now or whether it's some other struggle that we have been in. You know, I, I can remember um, both a little bit after my parents divorced and, and then after another kind of particularly painful event in my life, about three months after each of those times, different people coming up to me and saying, Jerry, come on, it's time for you to move on. Quit being so glum. You got to get on with your life. And I can remember being, quite frankly, incredibly angry. For, for one, it seems to me that we take seriously these difficult times and that there is an importance in feeling pain and struggle. That can be hard for us to grapple with in America in a place where oftentimes we're told just to keep going or entertain yourselves or, or divert your attention to this thing. Don't feel the pain. But I, I think that there's something remarkably important about being able to simply sit and feel pain. Now, part of it is this, that painful wilderness-like seasons are a treasure trove for learning and changing and growing in wisdom. I'm going to tell you, I think it is absolute shame if at the end of this season, this difficult season, whenever that may be, if we reach that point and the only thing that we can say is, oh, thank God, that season's over. Thank you that we don't have to go back to 2020. If that's the only thing that we can say, and I am afraid we have missed out on an incredible opportunity. 
I certainly think we can look back and be like, whew, I'm glad that part of the journey is over. But I am also hopeful that we can look at this particular time and we can say, wow, I am so different than when I was before. That was a wake-up call. I have grown in wisdom in this way. I have changed my life because of what I was experiencing in the wilderness. But as we've said before about this, that will only happen when you are able to slow down enough to be able to open your eyes rather than doing everything you can just to get around or get over or get under and get through this season. This is what we see, is it not, in Exodus? There are the Israelites they're just left the three, or excuse me, it's just left the Red Sea. It had been three days, three days since God did this remarkable miracle. And they're ready to throw in the towel. Oh, looks like we're just going to thirst to death. That's just what's going to happen. There's nothing out here. We're in the middle of a desert. Moses, what are you thinking? What are we supposed to do? They'd given up. And then they had a glimpse of hope in this water there at Marah. But, but there they go and they begin to guzzle and all of a sudden they realize it's bitter. And they just think it's all lost. There's no life. There's no life. And all they could see is death and despair and darkness and dryness and the desert. Then God, of course, does something remarkable, miraculous again, and begins to show them how actually this can become something quite sweet. This water can do incredible things. And, and then they begin to drink and they realize that maybe there's actually life in this place where they were only able to see death. And this is a real important part to see here. As someone has pointed out, God begins to lay down the ground rules. He, he says to them, look, I know that you're, you're coming into this wilderness, and here's the thing. You're going to have to decide whether or not this wilderness season is going to be a time when you begin to listen to me, to obey me, and to trust in me. Or is this going to be a season where as soon as you begin to see those struggles, you all of a sudden decide that yet one more time God's just let you down and that he must have forgotten about you? In other words, in the very middle of this particular season, not after, but in the middle of it, God is telling the Israelites, just it seems as he tells us, you have a choice. Is this going to be a season where you begin to see and hear and experience God in new and surprising and amazing ways? Or are you going to simply become bitter, more hopeless, and see only death? See, the wilderness is a remarkable opportunity if we have the eyes to see it, to begin to see 
life where all those around us may see only darkness and despair. But there's another reason, it seems to me, why it is so important for us to reflect on the wilderness. The image that I had as I was thinking about this was the image of the video that the drone gave us that was over our service on our Sunday fun day on August the 30th. If you've been able to make it to our outdoor services, you, you, you've seen the perspective from kind of being out in the parking lot, right? You look around, you see people, that's one perspective. I, the musicians, um, Pastor Scott, we get to oftentimes have a different perspective, right? Which is up on the trailer. We get to, to look out and to, to see from that perspective. It's a, it's a unique perspective. It's a great way to be able to see folks. But the drone gave us an even more unique perspective. I mean, it was really high up. When, when I watched this with Megan and my girls, I mean, we were like, whoa, this is, he was really high. And you get to see everything. And it, it made me start thinking that if we could have a drone height view of our lives, if we were to look down over our whole life, you would begin to see that what we've been doing is actually journeying in a wilderness. From our time of being born spiritually, going through the waters of the Red Sea, the waters of baptism, and slowly meandering our way this way and that, moving slowly but surely toward the promised land, towards God's coming kingdom. And that there's something unique that happens when we begin to understand our lives as not just a journey, but a journey in the wilderness from the Red Sea to the promised land. The church has actually looked at its own journey during its time over the last 2,000 years, very much so through the lens of it being in the wilderness. Of course, over the years, it has usually focused on one particular part of the wilderness. Uh, this is kind of painting with a broad brush, but let's just look back over the last 100 years. If you think back about the early 20th century, there was much of the church in America that was kind of focused on the more difficult parts of the wilderness, the, the particularly dry and dusty and difficult aspect of living in a desert. It's pretty understandable if you think about it. Uh, uh, you had the, the First World War, you had the Depression, the Second World War. These were difficult times. And so much was spent, much time and energy was spent in thinking about this land as being incredibly difficult and and hoping and praying mostly for the promised land. Just hold on as tight as we can and soon we'll die and we can go to the promised land. Uh, you see this even in particular songs. Think about this famous song, I'll Fly Away. Now, I realize that for many of you, this may be one of your favorite songs, so I'll try to tread carefully, though I do have to say it's a little bit theologically suspect, but we can talk about that some other time. Uh, but it was written in 1929, same year as the Depression, by Albert Brumley. And, and that particular song um, was written when Albert Brumley was actually picking cotton in Oklahoma. And in fact, he told people that the 
reason why he was thinking about that song was really, at first at least, just thinking about flying away from the difficult and the miserable job that picking cotton was. And, and then later on, he began to see a bit more of a, of a spiritual context. But, but my point is, as you think through the words of that song, when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away, you, you get a sense that they realize they're in this difficult part of the wilderness and they're ready to get to the land flowing with milk and honey. Now the good thing about looking at your journey through that part of the wilderness is it reminds you that what we're doing here is temporary. The struggles are temporary. Sometimes we can get in a place where we think, well, this is all there is and now we're really in trouble because what is is not very good. And so looking at uh, this through the perspective of that part of the wilderness can be helpful. Of course, one of the challenges or difficulties about looking at it in that way is that it caused much of the church in America to not really engage with the world around it, to just kind of hold on and, and not care that much about what was going on and just wait to hurry up and die so that we can finally get to heaven, finally get to God's coming kingdom. Well, then let's fast forward and think about the last, I don't know, two or three decades. That's been a time here in America for many of us, not all of us, but many, to, to, to be able to be a bit more affluent, if you will, to have a bit more prosperity. And that's affected the church as well. And so it seems to me that what we have tended to focus on, whether we've thought about it or not, is much more, when it comes to the journey of the wilderness, on Elam. Elam is the oasis that we read about at the very end, verse 27, where there were 12 springs of water and there were 70 palm trees. Can you imagine it? It may have looked like your last vacation in 2019. If you're one of those Israelites who have been journeying, who've been living life enslaved, struggling day after day, month after month, year after year, and then you made it through the anxiety of fleeing the Egyptians through the Red Sea, and there you see the beauty of this location. A time to rest, a time to breathe, to drink, to sit, to lay in the shade. God took them to that place because they needed to Sabbath to rest. It's an important, a critical part of journeying in the wilderness. But there's a drawback to focusing on that as well. In fact, if you ask a question of what many Christians in America struggle with, you very well could say that it's that we've forgotten that the oasis is not actually the promised land. That we've begun to fool ourselves, perhaps, in thinking that this place of respite, this place of Sabbath, this place of, of comfort and, and, and rest is, is the ultimate goal. And we've forgotten that it's just supposed to be a place for us to stay for a short while. And when we grow too comfortable, we end up, we end up not growing as the Lord would ask us to do. We end up holding on tight to that palm tree while the Lord has our feet and is trying to pull us to the very next place. 
What happens, of course, is that far too often we get stuck. And there are too many, I'm afraid, that when you go up for that drone-like view of our lives, who will look at it and who will realize that they stopped at mile marker one. Rather than continuing the journey as the Lord would have desired them through the wilderness, through the good times and the difficult times, but through a journey nonetheless where they would begin to grow and begin to trust in the Lord and begin to understand what it means to be on mission and what it means to flourish and what it means to struggle and what it means to be challenged and what it means to look more and more like Christ and to build for God's kingdom and far too many forgotten that the oasis is not the promised land now there are times when we are forced out of that oasis times perhaps like these in which we live a time of covid a time of racial unrest Sometimes it's after a bad diagnosis from a doctor or a wayward child. Those will force us away from Elam. But for others of us, as you grow in the faith, what we begin to understand is that we ourselves need to, with greater intentionality, begin to pull ourselves away from the palm tree and that rather than simply breathing in and taking a dive in the springs and then coming back up and hoping that everything has gone back to normal we're actually called to continue the journey away from the oasis no matter how difficult that may be Andy Crouch is this remarkable book. It's pretty small. I'd encourage you to read it if you want to, called A Strong and Weak. And he talks about that. He talks about the fact that, that we in the church, especially in America, that we have to consistently, he doesn't use this language, but pull ourselves away from the oasis. That we have to put ourselves in positions where we feel more vulnerable, where we are challenged, where we are uncomfortable comfortable i love one of the kind of more practical ways and it's not really an overly spiritual way but it's just one way of beginning this journey which which is simply to go out for a walk he says when it's not 70 and sunny go out for a walk when the humidity is a hundred percent and the temperature seems to be even higher go out for a walk when it's pouring down rain go out for a walk when the winds are whipping against you go out for a walk in the midst of the winter snow why simply as an act of remembering that our point to being here is not to simply be comfortable now, of course, we need to keep taking steps to keep walking away from the oasis. Maybe for some of you, that's joining a home group uh, as a way of saying, look, I don't like strangers. This is incredibly uncomfortable. And I'm even more uncomfortable with sharing my faith and my doubts. Maybe that can be a, a first step 
into leaving this comfortable springs and these comfortable palm trees that we have grown so accustomed to. Maybe if you remember what we talked about a couple months ago, maybe it's about having a discussion with someone from a different race. I'm amazed when I look at others, if I can be so blunt, other white folks like me, and I'm amazed when I look at myself how defensive I can become when I begin to hear how people experience racism. How I want to quickly just distance myself and go back to my own little comfortable place, either through my own defensiveness or just shutting my ear. Maybe, so maybe it's just simply listening and refusing to give any kind of feedback and just listening in that uncomfortable way of moving away from the oasis. Maybe, maybe if you have a child, it's Telling that kid, you know what, and I, I know this would be difficult, but this season of sport or band or, or choir or whatever else it may be, we're going to pull you out this season. And instead, we're going to spend that time working or, or serving in some way those who are on the margins, those who are in need of comfort or love. And we're going to spend this particular season doing that. What would that teach our children? Or maybe, and you know I have to say this, maybe it's shutting down Netflix for a month. And instead, as the autumnal season begins, just simply sitting outside and just seeing what the Lord does as people walk by. People will, as I've shared before, think that you're weird. But maybe that's the kind of discomfort that we need in this particular I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's none of those things and you know exactly what it is. What I am convinced of is that far too many of us have made the Motel 6 into an extended stay. And we've begun to start paying by the month and not by the night. And we have grown far too comfortable in these restful places rather than asking the Lord, where to next. I don't know where you are right now. I fully acknowledge there are some of you who are living in a particular difficult, dry and dusty and fearful time. So perhaps my prayer for you is simply that you will find that oasis you will find Elam for a time to be able to rest, to replenish, to restore, to revive, to Sabbath. And I pray that you are able to find that place. And for others, for others perhaps you've been staying in Elam for a really long time. And this may be just the period for you to begin to say, all right, what are these Israelites doing? How are they venturing through this wilderness? What are the challenges that they face? How do they deal with that? Do they grow bitter? Do they grumble? Do they grow closer to God? What am I going to choose in this time? Sisters and brothers, over these next two months, I look forward to journeying with you through the wilderness. And I'm convinced that for those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, that we will see places of life and hope.
that we will only see when we go out each day expecting to see the flourishing of God. May it be so. Hallelujah. Amen and amen.